Okay, everyone, you're listening to Here in the Gorge. I'm Sarah Fox, your host, and today we're going on a road trip. I think we'll be safe and fine. It might be like some of the road trips you've been on. We've missed our road someplace, but I never saw a gravel road coming in. I never saw one come in. But other parts? Well, gosh, I hope you've never been on a road trip like this one. We've all died. We've all died, and we were so close. <laughs> Lots of people died because we're talking about the Oregon Trail. A 2,000-mile journey that forever changed the United States, not to mention the pioneers who walked it. The shopkeepers and store owners came, the farmers. They were the Today we're headed to the very last leg of the trail. It's known as the Barlow Road, and it happens to run right through the heart of the Columbia River Gorge and on up around Mount Hood. And you'd think that by the time the pioneers had made it this far, it'd be smooth sailing. But it turns out, this was one of the most dreaded sections of all. Fear, trepidation, might be a good word. But listen, today's road trip is not gonna be your classic Wild West tale. We're going to meet some folks along the way who know the Oregon Trail unlike any other. And we'll find out why it's about a lot more than just covered wagons and pioneers. And you'll find just one little piece of information, all of a sudden, a whole different thing opens up for you. You're not going to make it as a hunter. Are you trying to kill me? (laughs) Many women had a greater appreciation for their oxen than they did their husbands. You know, you had so many goats, you had so many cows, and you had so many slaves. So here's our game plan. We're going to follow the Barlow Road, starting in the Dalles. We'll head south on Highway 197. We'll pass by bucolic towns like Dufer, Tye Valley, and Womack. And then as Mount Hood comes up on our right, we'll launch into the heart of the beast, where the Barlow Road gets real, if you know what I mean. All right, we're getting ready to leave the Dalles, and we are following the highway route. Oh, and that says right there, okay, Oregon Trail, Barlow Road route. Yeah. Now, on any good road trip, it's important to have an idea of where you're going. The problem was, when it came to the Oregon Trail, I usually pictured two parallel ruts wandering over the hills off into the sunset. Which is to say, I had no idea where I was going. So I called this guy. Son of a gun, you seen anything like that before? Short of finding an actual pioneer from the 1800s. First thing. I got the next best thing. Wendell Baskins. The width of the trail is the width of the wagon wheels. Four feet. That, I mean, that is the road. You see a berm and you see a berm. See, see right here, the berm and the berm? You're in the middle of it. You're standing in what would be the, the wagon track. One over here. Wendell's a storyteller and certified rut nut. His words. Not mine. The people who spend their hobby time following the ruts of the Oregon Trail, they started calling themselves rut nuts, because that's what they did for fun. We decided we'd better start with a little trail finding 101. Now, while we're doing ruts, if I take a rut that is square, like a U, a square U, and I fill it in with 150 to 160 years of vegetable matter or pine needles or whatever, the 
rut is no longer square U, it becomes rounded at the bottom. It becomes a swale. And when you say rut, like so Wendell loves looking for old trails. But I realized there might be one thing he likes even more. Is it coming right here? Oh, yeah. That's it. And sometimes you lose it. And that's taking other people to find old trails. Well, there's one set of swales there you can put 144th graders in and never see the tops of their heads. I also learned that this trail finding thing is not an exact science. Mother Nature, bulldozers, and modern roads have taken their toll on the Oregon Trail. You have to be careful because sometimes looking for trails is like looking for fool's gold. You see it everywhere. Which made me start to think about what we didn't see, the pioneers who'd made these ruts. Why had they decided to travel the trail in the first place? There's such romance to the idea of striking out on your own. It has this inherent hope that wherever you're going will be better than where you've been. I can imagine 150 years, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, I was going to stand here and go, wow, you know, look at that meadow. If, if the Willamette Valley is like that, we have indeed reached the Garden of Eden. This is paradise on earth. It, it, it is utterly fantastic. As Wendell and I head down the highway, it's easy to feel nostalgic about the Oregon Trail. You can almost see the covered wagons rolling across the Golden Hills, proud pioneers walking alongside. But in reality, these were people who had laid it all on the line. We're so used to thinking of the wagon train and the oxen, we get uh, tunnel vision. You have to stop and remember, they were moving whole farms. This was a massive human migration. Hundreds of thousands of people. And it was entire families, dads, moms, children, grandparents, all leaving behind family and friends who they'd probably never see again. The parting of the families, the splitting of the ways, we tend to forget that side of the story. The human condition is the same condition as you had in 1843, 1844, whenever. Because the hope for a better life is a powerful thing. For a family who decided to embark on the Oregon Trail, the story might have gone something like this. Say it's 1845. You live in, how about, Missouri. You own a small shop, or maybe you're a sharecropper. You're getting by, but hey, it could be better. And you've heard about this place out west called Oregon. But at this point, it's not part of the union. So you're trying to make ends meet. Maybe you're even really struggling. And then your neighbor tells you that the folks out west are just giving away land. And it's not ho-hum dusty prairie land. They say this is like Garden of Eden type land. The kind of land that can turn your life around. It could even build a life for your children that they'd never have if you stayed where you are. For the U.S., this was a land grab aimed at squeezing the British out. 
If the Americans got enough people out to Oregon, the British would be forced to give up any hope of claiming the place as their own. It was pretty much the ultimate home court advantage. And for the pioneers, it was the chance of a lifetime. Absolutely. All you had to do was get here. Which was easier said than done. Yeah, well, I lost all my clothing and most of my food and some other stuff. Kid or something. (laughs) (laughs) Clothing, a kid. We're going to come back to the Barlow Road. But first, a visit to White Salmon, Washington. Because what's a road trip without a few detours? Tell me your name and maybe where we are right now. Okay. Um, Karen, uh, Joe Stedmadian. And we're in our home here in White Salmon. Um, Yeah. So just like Wendell, Karen knows a lot about the Oregon Trail. But for a very different reason. I'm a month in and we already have dysentery, typhoid, a blizzard, and (laughs) and wet food. Yeah, but you haven't had your wagon burn up. There's really no way to recreate the pioneer experience. But that's not to say that some people haven't tried. You have a long and difficult journey ahead of you. Karen and I are playing the Oregon Trail video game. Good luck. I'm playing with Karen because she was a product manager for the game back in the 70s. She remembers what it was like in the very beginning. Um, The graphics were very blocky, low-res graphics, and my son tested the program. He he came in as as a product tester and beat on the Oregon Trail to try to break it, and a programmer friend of his put what at that time was called an Easter egg in that said, if you hit a couple special command keys, it would come up and say, hi, Trevor. The other reason I'm playing the game is because I kept having conversations like this one in a local coffee shop. That's I, all I heard was the Oregon Trail game and that you hadn't played it before. And like, where are you, where are you from? <laughs> I'm from Oregon. What the hell? How did you not play the game? I like, don't know. It seemed like every conversation I had about the Oregon Trail ended up being about this darn game. I was starting to feel like the only one who'd never played it. And so I showed up at Karen's house ready to go. You take at least 200 pounds of food for each person in your family. Okay, ammunition. Two sets of clothes per person. I feel like I'm a really good shot. The premise of the game is to safely get your wagon train from Independence, Missouri to Oregon City. And like any pioneer, you have to buy and trade supplies along the way. You cross rivers, you hunt for food, You get sick. Oh, your poor husband. John has typhoid. Wow. Oh, what a... In fact, I realized that the whole goal of the game wasn't actually meant to be a game at all. So so do you cringe every time someone says the Oregon Trail game? Yes. Yes. I do. (laughs) Karen's a good sport. I've been calling it a game the entire time. But it was actually meant to be a simulation. A lot of the educational value of the Oregon Trail simulation is a mathematical model that reflects the real world and simulations were designed for classroom use in areas where you could not replicate it any other way. So, To create the algorithms used in the Oregon Trail simulation, 
researchers dug through trail archives, pioneer journals, even historical records on river depth and weather conditions. We've made it to the Dalles. It's September 15, 1848. Use the arrow keys to guide your raft through the rushing waters of the Columbia River. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay, so what we're there. seeing here is we've got- And before you scoff at the idea that a video game or simulation would even attempt to replicate the pioneer experience, let me tell you that the Oregon Trail game is considered one of the most successful games of all time. It's in the World Video Game Hall of Fame. It's on Time Magazine's list of the 100 greatest video games. It's often described with words like cultural landmark and icon. And perhaps most important of all, there is an entire generation of people who grew up knowing about the Oregon Trail because of this game. And sure, we'll never really have the pioneer experience. But there's something to be said for a game that wanted to bring a dusty old trail to the masses. <laughs> Wait a minute! Sarah, you drowned! Oh, Hold darling. on, we'll hold give, on. We'll give you another chance. Back Can up. you do that? <laughs> Wait, the raft has hit the shore. You have lost. Here lies, Sarah. Take a picture of that. <laughs> For the earliest pioneers, arriving in the Dalles, Oregon, meant one thing. After almost six months and nearly 2,000 miles, you had reached the end of the road, literally. From there, pioneers had to load everything onto rafts to go down the Columbia River, quite possibly the mightiest river they'd ever seen. The only way down was by Voyager raft, and they were expensive. Not to mention dangerous. There's more than one story of a pioneer making it all this way, only to drown in the Columbia. But in the beginning, there was no other choice. Then, in 1845, a man showed up in Oregon City and declared that he had discovered another way. Barlow is supposed to have said, well, God never made a mountain. You can't go over or around. That man was Sam Barlow, and that mountain was Mount Hood. Barlow and his wagon train had cut a route around the southern flank of the mountain. Now, emigrants reaching the Dalles had a choice. Go by river or go by road. The river was risky and expensive. But choose the Barlow Road, and the pioneer would soon find out why this last part of the Oregon Trail had earned such a reputation. Yeah, this travel on the Barlow is a unique proposition. What do you mean? Well, you never know what you're going to find. It changes around every corner. <laughs> Barlow and his wagon train had followed a well-established route out of the Dalles and south towards Mount Hood. For a pioneer, the road started gentle enough. Rolling hills, not many trees, food for oxen, water available. In present day, this is where you find the communities of Dufer, Tye Valley, and Womack. The real challenge came when they needed to turn west and finally cross the Cascade Mountain Range. Let's get out. Okay. This is the Palmer story. Fortunately for Barlow, Joel Palmer was part of the wagon train. Yep, same guy as Palmer Glacier and Palmer Chairlift. They're coming up that canyon. Wendell and I are standing on the side of Highway 35, looking down the White River Canyon. And they're going to go up right through there. Behind us, 
looms Mount Hood. They cannot see the mountain from down there. Palmer down there says, we don't know where we are. He climbs up the middle ridge. He kicks holes in the snow and crosses over and gets on the west ridge. And out in front of him, he, see two, he sees two mountains. And he says, we can't go behind them. We got to stay in front of them to the ridge coming in. Palmer had just discovered what route the wagon train would need to take to cross the Cascades. But the victory was bittersweet. The topography was steep and the forest was dense. And at the end of it all was Laurel Hill, the most treacherous part of the Barlow. But first, they had to get there. And so did we. I think we're gonna bounce right inside of that one. And I know I'm gonna scrape a little, it's just the way it is. What an irony for the pioneers, to finally make it to Oregon, only to be met with such tough travel. But I'll tell you, the good thing about the bouncy roads, you can make butter. Nearly every family that came brought a milk cow along. And so you milked the cow. And then you would hang a churn or a bucket with a lid on it on the back of the wagon. So they made a little paddle or they'd put a ball in there and it'd bounce around and bounce around and flop around. And at the end of the day, they had fresh butter. Now that's some pioneering spirit. And it's amazing to consider the level of detail that we know about the pioneers' lives. So much is written down. Who was born, who died, who got sick and when. We know what they packed, how they made butter, and what it felt like to be on the trail. However, even with all of this, there is one group of pioneers that we still know very little about. Did you know that there were black people on the Oregon Trail? I know what the answer is already. No! That's Gwen Carr, Secretary for the Oregon Black Pioneers. That's pioneers of all types, not just those who traveled the trail. We met in Salem at the Oregon Black Pioneers office. And Gwen often asked that question about black people on the Oregon Trail. It's a good way to start the conversation about a part of our history that often gets overlooked. I remember when I told friends that I was going to move to Oregon, they was just like, oh no, you know, you'll be back. Uh, there aren't any black people in Oregon. They've never had any black people in Oregon and they don't want black people in Oregon. If Gwen's move to Oregon in 1980 raised concern, then it must have been especially complicated for black pioneers on the Oregon Trail. Uh, because as you may know, Oregon, Oregon territories and then Oregon as a state, was actually a free state, okay? Explain what that is. Okay, well, it was during the time that states were coming into the Union, so to speak, and they had a choice of whether they could be a slave state or a free state. Uh, Oregon, after a lot of legal battles and discussion and what have you, <laughs> decided they wanted to come in as a free state. All right, great. So no slavery in Oregon. But they also wanted to exclude blacks from living here and being here, which is, uh, I think, what you call a contradiction. Okay, so no slavery in Oregon, but also no black people. Well, that didn't really work out. So these people who came here, uh, both on the Oregon Trail and people who had been here before, were here in spite of these laws. Some of them, for example, had been told by the early white pioneers, if you come with me and help us along the trail, 
to Oregon, you'll be free once you get there because it's a free state. Others weren't told anything. They just came because they were slaves and that's what you did. You went with, you know, wherever your slave master told you to come. Um, some were actually freed before they got on the Oregon Trail and they came along in order to be able to live in a place that was a free state. And so it's hard to imagine a place that would have these kinds of laws on their books and yet people living there in spite of these laws. But it's exactly what happened. The black exclusion laws came on and off the books and were haphazardly enforced. But ultimately, Oregon became the only free state to join the Union with an exclusion clause in its constitution. This makes trying to track down who those original black pioneers were extremely difficult. Exactly. And then you're dependent on the census records. Mm -hmm. And uh, in there, one of the columns is race. And so you're looking for B for black, M for mulatto. The other problem with uh, trying to do genealogy and that kind of stuff is a lot of times they change their names. They sometimes took the last name of their owner. So I might be Gwen Jones today and tomorrow I might be Gwen Smith because my owner is Smith. Even at that, it's kind of hard sometimes to find them because sometimes they just were excluded. You know, you had so many goats, you had so many cows, and you had so many slaves. Why would you put your cow in the census? It's property. It's tough detective work, and it takes time. You're looking for ages. You're looking for where they came from. But what Gwen and others discover will ultimately give new meaning to the word pioneer. And there's a certain kind of hope to that. When I go on road trips, I find myself wondering what it might be like to live in the places I'm passing. I can only imagine that some of the pioneers did the same thing. Why not just stop here and call it good? And some did. There are towns all along the trail founded by immigrants who'd had enough. But if you wanted to get your land claim, you had to make it to Oregon City. And if you were on the Barlow Road, you had to make it down Laurel Hill. Okay, so give me, give me the lowdown of what we're going to do right now. What we're gonna do is that we're gonna go and we'll walk the old wagon road down and look down Laurel Hill. There was a common phrase that people used in the 1840s a way to describe the anticipation for some future event. The phrase we see you hear is, I saw the elephant. What did that mean exactly? You saw the elephant, so big you didn't want to mess with it, you turned around, you quit. If you saw the elephant, you faced an experience that had both hope and risk. You may decide to push on, or you may decide to turn back. And by the time the emigrants reached Laurel Hill, you have to imagine that the elephant looked pretty big. You're getting here late September, October. The rains are coming and the mountain is turning white. You don't want to get trapped here. Talk about anticipation. The end is so close. 
And yet you know that just over the next hill is this thing that you've been hearing about for months. Now, easy here. You don't have a free hand to grab anything with, do you? Then don't slip. <laughs> the name Laurel is actually a misnomer. Early pioneers saw the rhododendrons on the hill and mistook them for eastern laurel. The other interesting fact about the hill was how you actually went down it. From Laurel Hill's summit to its base is almost 2,000 feet of steep, rocky cliffs. Too steep for oxen to pull wagons. And this is where things got tricky. Before descending, the pioneers unhooked the oxen. They jammed logs through the spokes of their wagon wheels to create skids. And then, using leather ropes lashed to trees, the emigrants lowered their wagons by hand. It was painstaking, dangerous work that left rope scars on the trees and deep ruts gouged in the side of Laurel Hill. And after each wagon made it down, the pioneers had to climb back to the top and get the next one, until everyone in the wagon train was safe in the valley below. You were just days from your final destination. But if you made a mistake, you risked losing everything that you owned, or even your life. You're walking where folks, well, 173 years walked in anticipation of Lower Hill. The emotion all starts to build. I mean, this was the worst descent in the entire trip. They are about 1,900, 1,920 miles to this point. Laurel Hill earned its reputation. It would have been hard to hike down, much less lower a wagon. They went down that? They went down that. They're going down there. But if you slip, it ain't good. Oh my God. And even after they made it off the hill, the pioneers had one more thing to do before heading on to Oregon City. There was a toll for their use of the Barlow Road. And more than a few of them grumbled at having to pay for what they'd just been through. Which left me wondering one last thing. So if this was such a treacherous, horrible spot on an already very difficult section of trail, why didn't they just pick a different way to get over? It's the only way that'll get them where they gotta go. And to tell you how accurate that Palmer was when he says, stay in front of that ridge line coming in from the west, we're still using the corridor. Uh, this is Laurel Hill. This four-lane highway here. Is built on the skirt of Laurel Hill. The power lines run up through here. The gas lines run up through here. The US 26 runs up through this same canyon. Which means that even with our modern technology and fast highways, we are still very much connected to an old trail and the people who traveled it. The specialness of this is the trail is still here. The story still exists. It's being used right now for different purposes, but it's still here. You cannot remove its significance. After Laurel Hill, the pioneers passed through places 
you might have visited on your own road trips. Places like Zigzag, the Sandy and Clackamas Rivers, or even Oregon City itself. Reaching the end was a major accomplishment. One out of every 10 pioneers died trying. So was it worth it? When Joel Palmer left his family in April 1845, he wrote, I had long looked forward and suffered in the imagination, the pain of this separation. A doubt arose in my mind. Whether the advantages from the trip would be likely to compensate for the time and expense necessary to accomplish it. But I believed that I was right, hoped for the best, and pressed onward. And maybe that's what this is all about. Simply seeing the elephant. A willingness to risk because you have hope. Special thanks to the Oregon Heritage Commission, who helped fund this episode of Here in the Gorge. And to the Mount Hood and the Columbia Gorge region and Travel Oregon. If you want to visit the Barlow Road yourself, you can go to hood-gorge.com for adventure ideas. Thanks also to the Hood River Cultural Trust, Heidi Byerly of Route Transport, the Columbia Gorge Tourism Alliance, Friends of the Columbia Gorge, Columbia River Gorge Discovery Center and Museum, and the Columbia Gorge Arts and Culture Alliance. Here in the Gorge is a program partner of Gorge Owned. And an especially big thanks to Wendell Baskins, Karen Josted Median, Gwen Carr, and the Oregon Black Pioneers. You make this trail come alive. Thanks to Bob Zybach for historical expertise, Josiah Dean at the Balch Hotel, to John Gehrig and Nate Duvall over at Dog River Coffee, to Courtney Christensen, Amanda Lawrence, Kelsey Alsheimer, and Mr. Lloyd Decay. Special thanks to Becky Brunn and Gardner Johnston for editorial help. I'd have them in my wagon train any day. This episode includes music from Bing and Ruth, Blue Dot Sessions, Poddington Bear, Patrick Lee, Lobo Loco, and Blythe Field. If you like what you hear, find out more at hereinthegorge.com. That's H-E-A-R in the gorge.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. It's way easier than going down Laurel Hill. Lastly, if you want to see my tombstone from Dying in the Oregon Trail game or to find out what a witness tree looks like, head over to our Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Sarah Fox. And we're here in the gorge.